chapter 13. How many uh, parents do we have here? Parents, biologically, by adoption. Someone just showed up at your house and now you're responsible for them. (laughs) Parenting is without a doubt one of the most difficult yet most important things we'll ever do. I want to read a story. I Sometime, some years ago, preparing for another series, I was searching for uh, illustrations and stories, and I found myself in the rabbit hole uh, of the internet where, you know, you go down and then you never know how you got there. And I ended up on a mommy blog. Uh, Some of you know what that is, and some of you don't. God bless you. Uh, Your life is richer for not knowing. But essentially, these are moms that recount their daily experiences. This one was worth saving. This mom tells a story. She said, we had dinner out with the family at the Mexican restaurant because my kids had been torturing me all day. Moms, how many of you can identify with that? And she said, the only thing that would keep me sane was tacos. So we went out to eat about 9 o'clock that night. We were putting the kids to bed, and I smelled the most rancid smell I'd ever smelled in my entire life. Think rotten eggs, but, but on steroids. Oh, no, we've got a gas leak. I started freaking out. I told my husband. We began to think, I'm getting a headache. I'm feeling lightheaded. Now I'm worried we're going to slip into a gas-induced coma if we stay in the house even a minute longer. So we all move outside, including the sleeping baby and my toddler in his pajamas. I called the gas company. They were closed, of course, because it was nighttime. My options were to call back during normal business hours or call 911 if it's an emergency. After a quick consultation with my husband, we decided that our family's uh, potential death was, in fact, an emergency, so I called 911. Hello, 911, what's your emergency? Um, I'm not sure, but I think I smell gas. Hold. In the midst of the chaos, while I was on hold to talk to the fire department, my son begins whispering to me and pointing at his underwear. Mommy's trying to find out if the family's going to die. What is it? If you need to go, just go in the grass. It's not that. Then he lifted up his blanket. And there was that smell. Oh my gosh. We let him eat four bowls of beans. We don't have a gas leak. We have a kid with the worst flatulence in the history of humanity. Fire department operator, ma'am, are you there? Uh, Oh, yes, uh, sorry, everything's fine. You know, the smell's gone. Everything's good. We no longer need assistance. Bye-bye. And she hung up the phone. But apparently, if you call 911 about a gas leak, you can't just hang up and say, false alarm, everything's okay. They send a gas team to check it out. When the gas team showed up, they were wearing hazmat suits. I told them, you know, uh, actually, I don't smell the smell anymore. Everything's fine. And I tried to close the door. The man put his foot in the door and he said, ma'am, we close entire shopping malls during back to school shopping and churches on Christmas Eve because someone reports a strange odor. We will shut down the gas to this entire neighborhood if we have to. Do you understand the severity of making such a complaint? Yes, sir. They ended up spending two hours checking everything to make sure there was no leak. Later that night, when they finally were going to bed, 
My son asked me, Mommy, are they going to know it was me and take me to jail? (laughs) Not this time. But if it happens again, you're going right to jail. (laughs) How many of you uh, would agree parenting is possibly the most complicated, hard-to-figure-out job on the planet? But here's the other side of it. It is the most important thing you'll ever do. I promise you in all of life, in all of time or eternity, you will never do anything more important than be a parent. Our scripture is about a couple who do their best to partner with God. Judges 13, I'm going to read beginning in verse 2. It says, Now there was a certain man from Zoram of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, uh, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink any wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome, but I did not ask his name. Or where he, or I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink or eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb until the day of his death. Verse 8, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please, let the man of God whom you sent come again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. Of Manoah. I want to preach a sermon entitled, A Parent's Prayer. I want to I make a, first a statement. Parents matter. That's one of the things you see in this scripture. Our story shows us the importance that God places on parenting. Now, the context of this in Judges 13, verse 1, the children of Israel had sinned and were delivered to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So now for four decades, God's people were being punished and tormented. Life was miserable, but God wanted to deliver them. And we understand that is always God's heart. God wants to deliver His people. So God decides to send a deliverer. His name is Samson. We know the story of Samson. He wreaks havoc on the Philistines. And even in his death, he wins an incredible victory. Judges 16, at the moment of his death, when he pulls the temple down, he destroys the entire leadership of the Philistines. So this boy has incredible impact, but his story begins with his parents. Listen, this is vital that you understand what's being said here. This is not a minor detail. God doesn't just say, yeah, 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 and his parents, that was that one guy. But it says, and there was a man named Manoah, long before Samson is even mentioned. Listen, God was not just looking for a strong guy. He was looking for a certain kind of a family. 
And I want to say to you, parents, part of the answer for this world is your children. That we would raise godly children. That we would give birth to godly children. I'm done. I fulfilled my quota and then some. Now it's on you. Oh man, it got all quiet in here. Everyone else is doing it. The Catholics are doing it. The Muslims are doing it. Why not the Christians? Your children are part of the answer. One of uh, I apologize. Uh, this may be a little bit of emba- a little bit embarrassing, but uh, one of the families that is just a joy to have in the church for me is the Baya family, Brandon and Crystal, their girls. But how they came in the church was that Monty was in class with Claire for several years in a row. And Claire was not like this preacher. She wasn't getting up, and Jesus said. I don't, there was none of that happening. But in some measure, she must have at least not acted like a total heathen. And so when the moment came for, and Rachel invited Crystal to, you know, she had, she had invited her. I'm, Crystal used to be scary. I'm just saying, right now, you have no idea. You got no idea. And she came in church, security called me like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and when Rachel invited her, there was, a, there was a testimony already that had been deposited over years. I want to tell you, your children are part of the answer for this world. God cares about parents, but this is the message of this scripture is God's care for parents. In, in our text, you know, God could have picked a man at random and made him strong uh, and sent him out to fight. But God's choice was to involve the parents. You see that all throughout Bible history is that God often takes time to highlight the parents' role in the story. Joseph and Rachel, Genesis 30, 22, where God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. You know, the story of Joseph is possibly one of the most significant stories in the Bible. Joseph's story actually sets up the rest of the Bible, and yet the story begins with Rachel, and God makes it a point to mention that. We read about Moses in Hebrews 11, 23, by faith when Moses was born, his parents hid him in the river. Listen, the story of Moses the deliverer began with parents, even Jesus. And this one boggles the mind. Jesus was born of a virgin. And yet God made it a point to talk about his parents. God made it a point that it was a certain kind of a family. And even in general, to the point that the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. Listen, parents, just lock this in. Parents matter. In God's kingdom, in God's economy, parents matter. But what we see in our scripture is that parenting is also a partnership with God. Verses 4 and 5. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink or eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be a Nazarite. Now, God did what the parents couldn't do. They obviously couldn't have a child. They were barren. So God did the miracle that they couldn't. He gave them the son, but God asked them to partner with him in the process. Listen, parenting is a partnership between you and God. It's, it's not sufficient to say, oh, well, well, you know, God will help him or he won't. I don't know. 
That's not, that is not uh, accurate. Scripturally, it's a partnership. We do all we can, and God does what we cannot. And what our scripture says is that if you're going to be a parent, it really matters inside of you. And our scripture was literal. It was physical. The Nazarites, this was a particular Jewish sect, and it involved not drinking or eating certain things. And so that was a physical thing. But God is making a very clear point to parents is that your internal spiritual man or woman matters to your children. It is going to compute out into the equation even things that are deeply hidden. There are things you think no one knows and your kids somehow pick it up. Every honest parent, now there's some here that are not honest, and so I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands, but every honest parent has been looking at one of their children, and for a second you're thinking, who in the heck taught you to... Oh, you're little me. <laughs> That's what's wrong with you. You're me! You never told them that. No one ever gets their kid and says, listen, right? Here's how you lie. You never do, but somehow it gets in them, doesn't it? Somehow they pick up your personality traits, your likes, your dislikes, things that are in you, your attitudes, your actions, your priorities. These things all compute out into our children in profound ways. In other words, your children, they are building their life out of the material you supply them. They have nothing else to work with. You take them to church. I've had parents drop their kids off at church. Here, fix them. I'm out. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Because they cannot build without the material you supply. But there is also an important revelation in the Samson story that I want you to see. And that is that even though his parents did everything right, you read about Manoah and his wife, they dotted the I's, they crossed the T's, they did it right. Samson still messed up. Even though Samson messed up, he still ended well. And you need to lock in on these truths. There's these wrong ideas Christians have sometimes, especially Christian parents. One is the idea that, either, that I have to be perfect or my kids are doomed. Listen, if that's the case, my kids are so doomed. They're double doomed, like way doomed. If I got to be perfect, sorry, you, it's over. And the other wrong idea that we have is that if my kids mess up, somehow it's my fault. But listen, both of these are wrong. Look at Samson. He went astray. His parents didn't do that. They didn't put that in him. That was his own choice. But the other side of that is he didn't stay that way. Even though Samson did wrong, he ended well. So let's talk then about parental need. Because our scripture is a great image of parental need. So in our story, it's obvious. It was a physical need. They couldn't have children. Verse 2, his wife was barren. You know, the truth about parenting is we always lack something. I know, money, right? That's what we're always lacking as parents. But beyond that, think about Adam and Eve. Who did they ask for advice about child raising? You ever think about it? People are always asking, did Adam have a belly button? Listen, that's the wrong question. What did he think when the first baby came out? What? what? Uh, hello? There was no books. There was no Pinterest. 
I'm curious, how can you have a baby without Pinterest? How do you decorate their room? It's impossible. I don't know how we survived. Adam and Eve lacked all experience. They had never even seen a baby before. If you look in the Bible, many couples lacked fruit. Some of the greatest miracles in the Bible are couples that couldn't have babies that God helped. Abram and Sarai, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Moses' parents, they lacked control over the circumstances. The king is trying to kill all the infant boys. They have to entrust him to the river. They have no control over him. Joseph's father, he couldn't protect his youngest son. His older sons were out of control. He couldn't do anything about it. This is what parenting in the Bible looks like, is that we don't have uh, all that we need. We lack control and we lack ability. But here's the problem, is that our need as parents is what creates the crises of parenting. You know, when you first have your first child, it's a wonder. It's a gift. It's just, it boggles the imagination. How many of you can still remember your kids are young enough. You were, it's just like, and I remember thinking, this is amazing. I said, babe, we did that. And she's like, I did that. No, that didn't really happen. It's just, but you know what happens really quickly is all of a sudden you realize that you are not qualified. And the crisis of parenting You know, it doesn't take long before you realize that that lack creates these great crises. When your kids are sick and they're hurting and there's nothing you can do about it. Listen, there's some tough guys and you just don't have kids or a heart. Whatever, let them cry. Oh, whatever. When it's your kid, especially when it's your daughter, the boys are crying, whatever, put a sock in it. Babe, he's two months old. But when your baby girls are born, why is she crying? What's wrong? Does she need something? And you can't fix it? Every parent knows that feeling. When they injure themselves, when they're, when they're running through the house, you know, when they're, when they're table height, that's a bad age for little boys, right? They're short enough, they can't see the table because it's right above their eyes. Let me tell you something about males. Listen, males see like this. They don't see down or up. or That's all they see. Honey, get your socks. I can't find them. They're right in front of you. No, they're not. They're they're, they're there. They're not right here. And so little boys, there's a table right here, low enough to take a chunk out of their brain, but too high for them. And they're running "Ah, full speed. And their heads are so big, they don't have any balance. You guys remember those days? And you spend a lot of time going, ah, ah, and they barely miss it. Those are painful days. That's a, that's a crisis in parenting. But you know when they grow up, it changes, doesn't it? When they're little, oh, hold on, yeah, don't, don't look at the blood, here's ice cream. And everything's better. And they get old enough when you can't uh, kiss their owie and make them better. I've sat with my children as they're weeping over issues or they're broken. Listen, there's no medicine you can put on that in a parent's heart. And this creates a crisis. When you have to let them go into a situation you have no control over. You know, nursery. Nursery's a wild scene, man. I remember when we had to put Paul in nursery the first time. 
He's like, 16. No. <laughs> no, we put them in early. Listen, you put kids in nursery as soon as you possibly can. But I remember asking Rachel, is he going to be okay? Like, he's going to be all right? She's like, babe, you were in this nursery. They wiped your butt. You're gonna, he's going to be fine. I don't think I'm a good test case. I don't think that's, that's valid. But you know, then their first day of school, you all, oh, man, someone remembered that over here. Like, uh-huh. The first time you let them stay at a friend's house. Man, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're dead inside, but for most parents, that's a, that's a rough night. It's like, man, I don't know if I trust them. Let, well, let's, 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 let's crank it up a notch. You let them get a driver's license. Yeah. Or, or this is Gallup. Hold on. We don't get driver's licenses anymore. When they start driving, they're like seven. They're growing up so fast. We get driver's licenses. I don't know about all y'all. But you, you release them into a situation you have no control over? When your kids move out of the house, that's all these things. And then they've got issues or problems that you don't have easy answers for. And here's the crucial revelation of parenting. I lack. I can't protect them there. I can't fix that problem. I can't keep them safe when they're over there. And I'm just going to have to let go and let some things happening. But here's what our scripture shows us. Is that God delights in making up what parents lack. That's what this whole story is about. They couldn't have kids, but God said, I can fix that. Listen, whatever it is you lack, God can make up the difference. You know what? On one hand, I can't be a perfect parent, but on the other hand, I don't have to be. It's not necessary for me to be perfect because I'm partnering with God in this. Verse 3 and 4, he says, Indeed, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Listen, if I can't fix their pain, God is the healer. If I don't have answers for their problems, God does. When I can't see all the issues of every circumstance, I can trust God to be in control. And when I see things in my children that are bad or dangerous or deadly, listen, God can change them far better than I can. Let's talk then about the parents' prayer. Because parenting is the great conundrum of life. It's obviously crucially important. The most important, most formative, vital years of our children's lives is as they are young in our home. But now there's a flaw in the system, I think. Because while childhood is the most important stage of our life, God entrusts parenting to people whose only qualification is, oh, I was a kid once. That's my whole qualification as a parent. Can you be a parent? Yeah, I used to be a kid. That's ludicrous. Are, are you following me? But God gives us that opportunity. I already talked about Adam and Eve. Right? Just, just work with me for a minute. Maybe, maybe God gave them a manual. Maybe God showed up. All right, look, come over here. Look, see the cow, right? And the, when a man loves a woman, right? And he gives them the whole story, right? And see how the cow's belly gets bigger? I, but I don't know. Maybe one day Adam was like, baby, you want to go for a walk? <laughs> Things you should never say to a pregnant woman. 
uh, God, uh, her, she, uh, she's really big. Does this just keep going? Right? Are you, I mean, there, there were, you get it, there had never been a pregnant person before. The baby came out. That had to be a traumatic experience for both of them. Well, what is that? I mean, newborn babies are really cute, but not like in the first hour, right? Every parent, you're like, whoa, whoa, okay. I think it's a human. Hose it down. God, why is it so noisy? It's leaking again. Again, it's leaking everywhere. Right? You follow, that's what parenting is, is essentially this, this great adventure of discovery. We know nothing about what's going on. If you look yesterday morning, it may have changed from then till now. On Amazon, there are 130,000 books with the word parenting in the title. Now note, that's only books with the word parenting in the title. There are many, many thousands of books about parenting that don't even have the word in the title. If you bought all 130,000 books on parenting from Amazon and you read one a day, and that's fast, it would take you 350 years to read them all, right? Uh, when are you guys going to have kids? Hold on, I got some reading to do. Right? No, the point is you can't learn it all. There's no way to go to a class or read a book uh, or uh, figure this out from some kind of external knowledge. Listen, parenting is an art form you learn in the trenches, isn't it? Literally in the trenches. You, you can't uh, study this. You know, you've all probably met that person, right? That person who's an expert on parenting. Have you met them? Of course you have. They don't ever have kids. That's how you know they're an expert. But, well, my kid would never do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Have one. We'll see. My children, every time they show up at church, they will be dressed. They will be clean. Yes, yes. Please, sweetheart. Please, please. Go have a couple little terrorists. <laughs> Listen, sometimes you can't even call them humans, right? Whatever. <laughs> Demon spawn. You'll come to church. You've got one part of your hair is beautifully done. The other side, it's, it's child vomit, and it's crusted in a spike. And you're like, what? What? No, I did my hair. Oh, my God, I didn't even know. And it's down your back, and it's coming out the baby's back. And you can't figure out why your husband always wants to take separate cars to church. Because that's how you learn how to parent, isn't it? Is you just, you just got to do it. And it's like the most inexplicable thing. You know, I've... I've made an intentional study of parenting. I've worked very hard at it because I feel it's important, and I've got kids, and I've labored. You know, the problem is you figure it out, and then the next kid is born, and they're totally different. And then you've got to learn a whole new set of skills, and then the next one's born, and it's something else entirely. Listen, that's the conundrum of parenting. But I think there's a reason for that. You know, God could have told us how to do it, couldn't he? Right? Y'all blinking at me. Does God know everything? That's a simple yes or no question. Yes? Yes, God knows everything. He could tell you how to parent. And yet, he leaves so much of it to mystery. You know why? Because he wants you to partner with him. He wants you to work with him. He doesn't want to give you a guidebook. Step one, day three, uh, you know, when two days after their fourth birthday, they're going to throw a hissy fit because they don't think that the number blue should be different than the color red. 
And you're like, that doesn't even make sense. That's what parenting is. God could have put it in a book, but he didn't. Because he wants you to partner with him. Listen, number one, there are things I don't know. There are things I can't know, but God knows. And God wants you to remember that. And maybe the reason you're so quiet is because I'm talking about parenting and you're feeling extra tired. You're like, oh gosh, please stop talking about my kids for a minute. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, I am God declaring the end from the beginning. Listen, there's things I can never know, but God knows about my children. Psalm 44, 21, God knows the secrets of the heart. God knows what's happening inside them. So you're going to have to partner with God if you're going to figure them out. There are things I'm not in control of, but God absolutely is. In Exodus 2, when Moses' mother could no longer hide him, in verse 3, she made an ark and placed him in the water along the reeds. Listen, that's one of the great tragedy or the great crises of life is the times you have to say, God, I can't control this. I've got to trust it to you. I can't manipulate it. I can't arrange it. I'm just going to have to let you do this. Think about Moses. What if his mom had tried to force the issue? No, I'm his mother, and I'll raise him by golly. Moses would have died. She had to give up control. God, I'm going to have to trust you with this one. There are things I can't do, but God can. In our scripture, God made a barren womb bear fruit. That's beyond human ability. In 2 Kings 4, the Shunammite woman's son was born by miracle uh, uh, by a miracle of God, then dies tragically, but God brings him back from the dead. Listen, this is one of the, the heartaches of parenting is watching your kids backslide. And there's, it's, it's a peculiar ache. It's something you can't put it in words. You can't define. And I know when your kids are little, you're like, oh, they'll never backslide. I'll slap them if they do. Check in with me later. Nostradamus. But you know what? God can do what I can't do. God can move in a dead heart and resurrect it unto him. Listen, that's the point. And there are things that I simply can't bear, but God can help me. You know, it, it does not escape me that I'm preaching to a very diverse group of people. And there are people here that when we talk about parenting, it raises the specter of great heartache, far greater than I've ever experienced, and tragedy. And there is no human way to bear the pains of life, the, the pains of a parent. But there is a God, Psalm 147, verse 3, who heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Parenting brings with it a great possibility for heartache. And God is the only answer to that heartache. And so here is the appropriate response to parenting. It is seeking God. In our text, there's no specific record of the wife praying, but I think it's safe to assume she did. Any other time you find barren wives in the Bible, you find them also crying out to God. But then verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, let this man whom you sent come again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Can I tell you, in that one verse, 
is some of the greatest parenting wisdom you will ever hear across this pulpit or any other. He prayed to the Lord, God, teach me what to do. Listen, you can forget uh, what uh, pop culture says. You can disregard the vast majority of modern literature on parenting. Pray to God, God, I need you to help me. Here is a response of deep wisdom. Manoah is just minding his own business. We don't know what he's doing. He's working the field, uh, I don't know, playing guitar. He's just having his day. And his wife came and said, I've got news for you. You're going to be a dad. And the first words out of his mouth were, Lord God, send someone to help. I'm going to tell you, that is the foundation of parental wisdom. Talk to God. Talk to God about it. Ask God for wisdom. Lord, teach me what to do. And praying for wisdom. Listen, this is vital. Pray for understanding. Pray for strategy. Pray for help and for favor. Pray for blessing. Pray for access to your children's hearts. Listen, pray for forgiveness. Every parent here, that ought to occasionally cross your lips. God, forgive me. I messed up. When we met uh, Jonathan, my grandson, you know, they're the COVID now. You can't go in the hospital because you might be sick, but that, they're all sick in the hospital. I don't know why. For some reason, you can't see him in the hospital. So when they went home, when, and I had to tell you, just hold, it's like, I'm like, God, you can take me home now. I'm okay. And leaving, I don't know why, but that night, I remembered every stupid thing I did as a parent. Leaving their house, driving home, just thinking, man, I'm an idiot. Just because, listen, if you're going to be an honest parent, you're going to realize, no matter how hard you try, you're going to make some bad calls. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to say some things you ought not to say. You're going to do things. Pray to God. Because I can't do it. I'm not good enough as a parent, but God is God and knows and he loves. And here's the glory of the God that we serve. Verse 9, and God listened to Manoah and he visited him again. Can I encourage you? God loves your children even more than you do. Far more. And he'll help you. There's parents here. You are wrestling with the crisis. How do I navigate this? Can I tell you there's an answer? Years ago, and I think I probably told this story, we were in Hobbs. Uh, you know, the kids were all much younger. I don't think uh, Greg had been born yet. And the girls, every night, I'd tuck them into bed, put them into bed, right? And uh, then, uh, after a few minutes, Kate would call, Dad! Yes. Can you straighten out the blankets? And so, you know, I'm a logical man. Oh, yeah, look at They're all wrinkled. And I actually got a technique. You can pick it up. Smooth as glass. Got it. Thanks, Dad. Love you. And then she'd go right to sleep. And so this went on. I mean, this was, this was going on for some time, you know. And, uh, you know, I've always felt every problem can be solved. That seems reasonable to me. And so I'm like, okay, hold on. I, when I would put them in bed, we'd pray. All right, good night. Love you, sweetie. All right, love you. And Claire, you know, she was, ah. Claire, her hair was always like, Wah. And I'd be like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten out your blankets. I'd get them all smooth. Right, we're good. And I'd sneak out. You know, and then you, parents would do the quiet walk. Like Alexa in the skit. Ba-dum, ba-dum. Dad! 
Can you straighten out my blankets? Yes. And then one, I mean, this went on and on. I was losing my mind. There's straights a blanket. So one night I'm in there, I'm like, Kate, it is essentially a two-dimensional plane. It is flat. When I go like, it's flat. That's, it's done. There's nothing else you can do to it. Here it Thanks, Dad. Love you. Good night. And go right to sleep. And I come out, and Rachel's like, you understand, right? She's not asking you to straighten out her blankets. No. I did not understand that because being a male, I heard the words, Dad, straighten out my blankets. And I thought she meant what she said, which seems logical to me. She's like, she doesn't care about the blankets. She just wants you to tuck them in. And it was like getting hit by a truck. I'm in there. It's a two-dimensional plane. And she's like, Daddy, just tuck me in. That's what she meant. And I tell you, that one, one little word of wisdom changed our whole experience our whole relationship, there's a pattern every night. Everyone, we all pray together. You know, we bring the kids. It's like a huddle. All right, pray. Jesus, touch everyone. And this one over there, you know, get them all. All right, love you one more. Everyone go to bed. They go to bed. But then the girls get tucked in. The boys, whatever. Boys stink. But the girls, they get an extra visit from dad. Can I tell you that one little bit of wisdom changed everything? And I want to tell you, I don't know what you're dealing with as a parent right now, but I guarantee there is that little bit of wisdom hanging out there. And God can help you because God listens to parents. Let's bow our heads together for a moment. Thank God every head is bowed, every eye is closed. No one's moving around, looking around just for a few minutes. What a, a wonderful thing it is to be here in the house of God with God's people. Before I change this service, you're here this morning. If you are not a born-again Christian, you need to be. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all come short of God's glory. None of us are righteous. And the consequence for sin is death, far beyond physical death. It's the eternal death, the condemnation of the soul that separates us from God in eternity. That's why Jesus came. He died on the cross. He shed his blood and he rose again the third day victorious over death and hell so that you could be free from sin. And the Bible declares that if we would, in a moment of honesty, admit that we're sinners and ask Jesus to forgive us, it promises he will forgive us. He washes away the stain of guilt and shame and He gives the promise of eternal life with Him in heaven. And right now, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, out of respect for those around you and the Spirit of God that's in this place, you'd be honest for a moment and you'd admit, I, I am not saved, I'm not born again, or I'm a backslider, but you want to be. You want to give your life to Jesus and turn from your sin. If that's you, put your hand up for a moment. All across this place, you're unsaved or you're backslidden. Put your hand up. God's here. He wants to meet with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I see this hand. How many more join this honest heart? 
you're unsaved or you're backslidden. You're not right with God, but you want to be this morning. Just put your hand up. God can meet you. Your life can be transformed. Praise God, I see that hand over there. How many more? Join these honest hearts. You're unsaved. You're backslidden. Listen, meet Jesus this morning. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. Unsaved or backslidden, one more call. Put your hand up quickly. God wants to meet you here. Praise God. Each of these that raised their hand, I want you to get up out of your seat and come. Come kneel down. Come pray over here. I need a lady to pray. Your left, another lady over here on your right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I need another lady to come pray on this side as well. Amen. Christians in this place, I preach very direct. I preached about parenting, and I'm confident God is speaking to some about this issue in particular. There's others. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something else entirely. He wants to encourage you or challenge you about something. But I want to give you time to pray in this altar. Why don't we all stand to our feet? Praise God. If you'd take a moment, witness to someone. If you're not sure if they're saved, ask them to know Jesus. Amen. This altar's open. You can come and pray. Come talk to God for as long as you need. We'll sing a song while these are praying. Amazing grace, how God, I'm asking right now that you'd minister in the hearts of your people. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. You speak to God as long as you need. Talk to him about these issues. Ask him for help and for wisdom. Wonderful, mighty God. God minister grace and favor. Lord, we need you to move. God, I'm asking for clarity and direction, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your favor, Lord Jesus. Mercy reigns. Yes, thank you, Lord. Amen. You continue to pray as long as you need. Amazing grace, how sweet, yes, thank you, Lord, a wretch like me, I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind. But now 
My chains, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My Savior ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Yes, hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Sing it again, my chains are gone. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my Savior ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's worship God together. Thank you, Jesus.